Welcome in everyone to the Sunday recap. This is Chris McLaughlin here with Ariel Eldridge. Ariel, how's it going? It's good. <laughs> Welcome. I love how you kind of pause there for a minute because it's Ariel Eldridge. And no one and else. And no one else. <laughs> yeah. So Mitch is not with us today and he won't be with us next week because he is coming up on summer camp that is happening next weekend or next week for the middle schoolers. Um, huge, huge week for middle schoolers. In fact, this was crazy. You know that they had 50 spots, right? They had 50 spots reserved for middle school kids to go. And the spots filled up so quickly that they ended up having to try to get more, try to get more, yeah. try to get more. They're up to 85 now. 85 middle school kids that are going to be going to camp next week. I'm blown away. Like totally blown away. That's so cool. I feel like maybe it was something where it's like, you know, parents were just like, we just got to get these kids out of the house. Like, come on. (laughs) So (laughs) I think, I think that for the most part, we're feeling the, uh, the lifted spirits of the last year and uh, just the joy of getting to gather again. And I think these kids are ready. They missed camp last year. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, Mitch is not with us. He is preparing things this week, getting things ready, and then he's going to be gone next week. So he won't be here. So I know that just means all you guys are going to turn off your podcast right now and you're not going (laughs) to listen next week. I know. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's going to be fine. Stay guys. Stay. Listen to Ariel. It's okay. Okay. (laughs) So... (laughs) Well, before we get going with uh, what we're going to be talking about today, we do want to let you know just about one quick thing, and that's that VBS is coming up in our church in just a few weeks. Like It's like four weeks away. It's like super close. Um, Now, this year, VBS is not our normal five-day VBS where it's normally like Monday through Friday. The VBS, we're going to shorten it down just a little bit, and it's going to be a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday evening. Okay. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday evening. There's a ton of uh, really cool things going on with this. In fact, um, every night, so Friday and Saturday night, there's going to be a meal that's going to take place. It's going to be open for people to come in with their families and have a meal together from 4.30 to 5.30. Then VBS starts at 6 and ends at 8.30. And then on Sunday night is going to be our huge family celebration. There's going to be snacks and games and all kinds of cool stuff going on. And so um, that's VBS this year. It's going to be really great. We're I mean, I don't know about you. I'm excited to get it back. It's like a, it's like a super cool event every yes, summer. And I, I missed it last year. I definitely Same. missed it. Yeah. So that's all coming up. It's on June 25th through 27th. It's going to be from 6 to 8.30 p.m. each night. And you can register for uh, register your kid online, or you can even sign up to serve at stonescrossing.com slash kids. We'll see you there. Well, this last Sunday, uh, Pastor Keith, he preached uh, just a standalone message this week on Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, really talking about the fear of death. Um, And this is something that I think is, obviously, it's universal to all of us. We all are going to be uh, dealing with this at Mm -hmm. some point, unless the Lord returns, which would be awesome. Um, But but unless he returns, we're all going to be facing death at some point. And one of the things I think is really interesting is, is when we get into this passage right off the get-go is that we, one, I think it talks about the universality of this fear, but also that we are under its thumb in some ways. Like we we are subject to this fear and it causes us it, it really to do things that we ought not to do, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. So let's just go ahead and read the first, uh, we're going to walk through the passage today and, and just kind of look at some details of the passage, but could we just read the first two verses here, verses 14 and 15? Can you do that? Yep. 
Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Cool. Thank you. So what I want to start out with is really focused on verse 15, because he says that it's through the fear of death that we were subject to lifelong slavery. This is a a fascinating thing. Now, we've talked about this uh, just a few weeks ago. You brought up, Ariel, the idea of the fallen condition focus, right? Mm -hmm. So so this is where throughout in the Bible, what you have here are passages that uh, are, are designed to complete us, right? And because they're designed to complete us, what they do is they expose the way that we're incomplete and they're going to show us then how to be complete mm-hmm. and how Christ is actually completing us. Now, this is one of those passages that I think are, is really exposing one of the incomplete things about us as humans, and that is that we are um, enslaved, is what it says. It uses this lifelong slavery language, enslaved to the fear of death, so what I, I think where I want to start today is just this idea of what exactly does the fear of death enslave us to do? Like, and let's get kind of practical with this. Like, what are some ways that the fear of death might actually change our behavior? Or what, we, what would we do differently if we didn't have the fear of death? Mm. You know, I was, I was thinking that from just observing the culture and, and dealing with this myself as all humans have been, I think that uh, one of the things that fear of death does first is it makes us not want to think about or approach that end. Um, and so we sort of like backpedal totally. throughout our lives Oh yeah, and make decisions that are, um, that are not progressive, that are not growing us um, mm-hmm. in Christ likeness. We just want to kind of get better. I mean, you see it with age creams and you see it with like, it, it manifests its way. Well, out yeah. So that's what I was thinking too. I was thinking about all the things that we spend our time and money on in order to try to prevent death. Right. right. Like what are we, you know, let I me mean, think about this. Like, I mean, exercise is a good thing, mm-hmm. but sometimes it goes overboard. Right. Or diets and diet fads or age creams and like trying to get your skin to look younger or your hair to look nicer or all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, and all of that, I mean, there's an element of that that's fine and healthy, there's also a a layer to it where if it goes too far, it's actually sort of detracting from your mission as a Christian Mm -hmm. in in life. Like, like it's using money for purposes that maybe need to be used for other things or using your time for purposes that need to be used for other things. Oh yeah. You know, or just your heart is in a a perpetual state of discontentment. Exactly. That I think that's a great word for it. Yeah, yeah, discontentment. So I think the other thing that that we might consider with this too is just decisions that we make about our relationships mm-hmm. as well. Um, so you know when we're talking about evangelism or or taking risks in the relationships that we have, where we're going to talk about certain things and and that sort of stuff. There's always this underpinning fear that those relationships are going to end. Um, that, that there's, that people maybe aren't going to like us, things Mm -hmm. like that. But I think at the core of that fear is really the fear of death because, because, you know, interesting, unpack that. Yeah. Well, (laughs) because, because think, think about it. I mean, if, if someone doesn't like you at the end of the day, the ultimate extreme version of that is that they will kill you. (laughs) Right. That's that's what Jesus says, right? He says, if you hate it, if you hate someone, it's like you are murdering them. Yeah. So I think this fear of death actually backs up to that same kind of concept that, that we will choose sometimes to not take risks in those relationships because the fear of death is actually controlling us. And we are at, at, um, 
uh, enslaved by it. So, so I think um, one of the things that 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 Paul or I say Paul, it's probably not Paul that's writing this. Yeah, we should talk chat. about that for a second. But <laughs> but but before we get to that, um, that uh, that what the author is getting to here is that there is certainly a slavery that the fear of death has given us. Mm-hmm. And if we um, are assured that the power of death no longer has any sway over us, no longer has any hold on us, then those sorts of things begin to drift away. Those sorts of things begin to fade, and we don't fear those those relational right. risks that we would take. Um, and so we... we um, we become a little bit more confident in, in those, yeah. in those conversations. And, and you've probably that. heard it, uh, referred to as fear of man. And I think yeah. that we could just frame it that way as well, that when you are not afraid of death, you're not afraid of man mm-hmm. period. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm with you. Yeah. So, um, let's talk a little bit about the background of the book before we go any further yes. in this. So let's. yeah, tell, tell us a little bit about uh, Hebrews and what's going on with it. Okay. What, what is this random, crazy, deep, letter oh. thing in the middle of what, what is, what is this? Uh, well, first of all, I know that we're not really supposed to have a favorite book of the Bible, but I think <laughs> this one might be close to my you favorite. You can have a favorite book. I'm gonna, okay. Yes. I just love it. Like this is such a great book yeah. uh, and Christ being better in, in all ways. Yeah. It's a major theme. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, sur- the supremacy of Christ. But what I think is so fascinating about this book is that, um, first of all, we don't really know who the author is. He That's doesn't, right identify himself mm-hmm. or herself at the beginning. Right. And I say that, but we both chuckle. We, we really don't know yeah. who wrote it. Um, and the, the part about this, this theme throughout um, Christ being the great high priest. And we see that this faithful high priest in, uh, in verse 17, that's not something where he is identified anywhere else in the new Testament as being, a priest. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that time, that would have been extreme blasphemy for the Jews to come out and, and call Jesus Christ. Right. Because they're still offering sacrifices in the exactly. temple. So yeah, that'd be like, what? Yes. <laughs> yes. What is going on here? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in the gospels, we see a picture of Jesus as king and as a prophet. Mm-hmm. And then we have Hebrews that fills in this third, um, third piece, the priestly role, the priestly role of Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. What else would you want to want to talk about? This yeah, book? I mean, a couple things. You know, one thing is, you know, it's it's unclear about who wrote it. Although a lot of the theology that's in there is is very similar to the things that Paul wrote, mm-hmm. and so some of the discussion around the authorship of the book of Hebrews is that this person was either Paul or a student of Paul, um, and there's probably more evidence towards this being a student of Paul. Um, it brings up some questions just because it's like, why is this included if it wasn't written by an apostle and things like that? But so much of the book of Hebrews is very apostolic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it was included and in fact was not heavily debated when, um, within the early church about, about its inclusion. It was, it was in the canon from the very beginning. Oh, and um, it quotes the Old Testament so much and is just so rich in like absolutely. In wrapping up all the themes that we've seen so far in the Old Testament. Yeah, coming through. all the connections yeah. and things like that. Another thing that's kind of interesting about uh, Hebrews is that it's not a, it's probably not a letter in the traditional sense of the word. So mm-hmm. like, like some of the other letters that Paul wrote, the epistles or Peter wrote or John, um, this one actually has a, a little bit of a different cadence to it. Um, and 
in one of the final verses in uh, chapter 13, verse 22, you have this expression in there where the author is calling it a word of exhortation. Mm -hmm. And that phrase was, uh, Ariel helped me find out earlier, that that phrase was used in Acts as, as a... Uh, as a way of talking about a sermon. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense that this might be a recorded sermon of, of this student of Paul. And that's kind of an interesting way to look at it as you're reading through it. Mm -hmm. Imagine this being preached. Uh, imagine someone standing up front and, 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 and speaking this to the people, which is, which is fascinating. So, yeah, it is fascinating because, you know, we've talked about in a teacher training on ways that you can present the gospel and you can present the text and you're, you're preaching or teaching through the, the word. And then you try to provide application usually somewhere at the end, Yeah. but this letter or the sermon brings application in the middle so it'll present the the doctrine, then mm -hmm. it gives you application, and yeah. then it does that over and over and over. And I just think that's interesting. Uh, totally, too. yeah, yeah. yeah. And you, so you can kind of see that as you read through it. If you read it all in one sitting, you totally get that yeah. as you're as you're seeing that. Um, maybe one other quick note is this is definitely early. I mean there there are there are things in the in this sermon that seem to indicate that the temple sacrifices are still going on, mm -hmm. which means that this was written uh, or spoken sometime prior to the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in AD 70. So that means that this was probably written sometime before that. And that's actually good news for us as Christians that this is so early because the earlier it is, the, the better the chance that it is that it's going to be apostolic. Mm -hmm. um, so that's actually really great news for us. So um, anyway, some background on on Hebrews and why it's so so good and so important for Worth us. Worth the read the whole way through. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's kind of keep plowing through. Um, I actually want to go back to verse 14 because verse 14 gives us a little bit of, we, we started to get into some Christology and this mm -hmm. is this is where I think this whole thing goes is it's just talking about Jesus. It's talking about who he is and what he's done. So verse 14 again says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So there's this idea that Jesus um, had to have become flesh and blood in a very specific way in order to accomplish what he accomplished on the cross. Um, and so another, another passage that deals with this is Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And in this passage, this is... Um, just a wonderful passage that, that explains so much of this. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So there's two categories here that he's talking about. He says, you know, we have that, that Jesus had to be born of a woman. So that means has to be human. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, that's critical so that that the Messiah would fully be able to empathize with the human experience, mm -hmm. right? And this becomes part of the author of Hebrews argument as well, that the, that, that the Messiah must be able to understand and empathize with the full human experience as part of his grace to us. Um, and then the other part of that, what he says, he says born of a woman, but he also says born under the law. And being born under the law means he's got to be born Jewish. Um, and it's important that he's born under the law because he has to fulfill the law on our behalf, right? So both of these are, are illustrating his, what we would call his active obedience and his passive obedience mm -hmm. for us. So 
Ariel, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, what oh, is man. active obedience and passive yeah. obedience? So active obedience, as I understand it, is what Christ did to fulfill the law perfectly. Right. And so in the Old Testament, we see, you know, the Levite priests and the Aaronic priests who are also born under the law, mm-hmm. who are standing in on behalf of humanity, um, making um, expiation for sin. Here, we'll, we'll, we'll get Here we into go. some big terms. I love <laughs> it. It's so exciting. Um, but they're they're offering sacrifices on behalf of the people to bring about um, redemption. Mm-hmm. But it's temporary over and over and over. And so... One huge theme that Hebrews deals with that this passage is touching on is that Jesus is doing that perfectly. So he perfectly fulfills the law in his active obedience by not sinning under temptation. Right. Um, And that's why he can ongoing offer his his one perfect sacrifice on the cross that covers our sin for all time, Mm -hmm. all sin, all time. Yeah. Um, And so that's his active obedience. Um, Then his passive obedience is the actual act on the cross. Right. That in his death and burial and resurrection, this is, this is him fulfilling that, um, that obedience. And I don't, know fully why it's called passive. Oh well, yeah. But it doesn't well, have to do with the law. Because he's passively allowing the authorities to arrest him, yes. to unfairly try him and to execute him. Um and that and he's he is passive in that. So he does that willingly. Uh-huh. Um but but he does that through As his I passivity. Willingly, he says he willi- willingly lays down his life exactly. and takes it up again. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Because he's the only one that has the authority to do that. So let's move on to verse 16 um, and start keep working through this. So verse 16 says, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Mm-hmm. And this is a really interesting little passage. And I think all I really want to point out with this is that just the word help. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, look, we need help. <laughs> <laughs> the fallen condition here yeah. is that we need help. Yeah. Um, Big time. And I think it's interesting that he uses that term uh, twice in this yeah. one passage um, just to illustrate the impl- by implication yeah. uh, that that we actually need help, and he's the one that offers that. Yeah. Um, so I think that's important. But. Well, I think it's interesting because he helps... Um, he helps the offspring of Abraham, so his his flesh and blood brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are familiar with First Peter, um, it talks about the gospel being things in which the angels long to look. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of the story about redemption is is for humanity. It's not for the angels, right. even though they are part of it as messengers. Um, so I wonder if it's touching on that just a little bit. What do you think? Well, so, I mean, I, I think there's a, again, if this is getting into Paul's thought on this and scripture's thought, obviously, because that's what it's talking about. But um, in, in the book of Romans, Paul talks about how not Israel is is actually Israel. Uh-huh. Um, so, and the, the idea there is he's making a distinction between national Israel and then a spiritual Israel. What yes. is the true Israel? And the true Israel are the believers. They're, they're, they're the people who have put their faith in Christ as the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's a thought here that perhaps this is this when he when he talks about the offspring of Abraham, he's referring to the true Israel, and that's the one that he helps. So so it's really, I mean, it's 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 that Jesus through his sacrifice is offering that help to that offspring of Abraham, the true Israel, mm-hmm. uh, and and maybe not just the uh, the national Israel. 
I just, I wonder why this author put here, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Mm-hmm. And why well, is that significant? I think it's significant because he's giving assurance that the atonement is for us. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, like there may be, again, I mean, if you go back to Hebrews chapter one, right before this, he's making the case that like the, that, um, that Jesus is better than the angels. He is superior to Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's this perspective of this elevated view of angels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so if that, if that's the case, then the view then would trickle down to that human kind is below the angels in, in that view. But he's, he's trying to correct that and he's mm-hmm. showing them, Hey, look, um, actually look at what God is doing. He values you. Mm even more. So it has a little bit of a Psalm eight. Yeah. Context. To yeah. It. Yeah. Absolutely. Perfect. That's great. Yeah. I, I just needed a little, little help. Thank oh. you. No. <laughs> no, it's good. So, uh, let's go to verse 17. Um, and actually would you read verse 17 there? Cause we're going to, we're going to get into, sure. we're going to get into that fancy Expiation, oh, yeah. propitiation work. Here yeah. we go. Yeah. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Yeah. Okay. So there's a, there's two things that I think are critical here to talk about. Um, the first is that, again, he's being made like his brothers in every respect. So it's what we talked about from Galatians mm-hmm. 4 and all that. And I think he's bringing that back up again, and the, and he does it for a purpose. He says, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Um, so a priest, when we think about the role of the priest, a priest is someone who intercedes on behalf of the people to God, right? So like, the prophet does the opposite. The prophet is the one who intercedes on behalf of God to the people, right? So right. like they like the prophet speaks what God says to the people and the priest is the one who is basically trying to speak to God for the people, uh-huh. right? <laughs> like, you know, forgive them and here's the sacrifice and all that stuff. So those two are really uh, important roles when you look at Christ because Christ is doing both, like we said before. Yes. And so in here, you have this idea that... Um, uh, so that Christ might become the merciful and faithful high priest. Well, he has to know us. He has to know our sin, our struggle, our strife, uh, uh, everything that we go through in order for him to then go and make that sacrifice. But not only does he uh, offer the sacrifice, but he becomes the sacrifice mm-hmm. itself. So he does both as the high priest. Um, and so that's a, I think that, that that's just a key part of his work that he does for us. But then we get to this word where he says to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So let's unpack that. What you, you said expiation, propitiation, mm-hmm. um, help us understand all that. Yes. Okay. So referring to Christ's work on the cross, he makes expiation for us. So what he's doing is he is making a sacrifice which is the the expiation. It's the right. act of redemption, of atonement. Right. The atonement is a big, big, important part of Hebrews here. Um, and so we have a sin that is a debt that must be paid to, to God um, because he is a perfectly just God, and therefore his wrath must be taken out on um, on sin. Mm-hmm. And that's what Keith was unpacking on Sunday. Right. Um, 
And what what Christ does in his expiation of that is he is fulfilling or satisfying that wrath through his sacrifice. Um, And then what he does is he makes propitiation for us, which is the... um, the turning away or the deflecting of God's wrath, what Keith was also yes. referring to, and the change of favor toward humanity, yeah, um, because the the uh, the wrath has been satisfied, yeah, by His work. Right on. Yep, that's exactly tough it. Tough stuff. <laughs> and we are not going to lie to you and say that we totally got this no. in the first take. We sat here for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. I mean, the. The tough thing with that word is that in, in, in the Greek texts of the New Testament, it's the same Greek word. Yes. And then sometimes they translate it expiation and sometimes propitiation, um, but it has slightly different meaning there. And, yeah. and uh, you articulated it perfectly. Good job. Well, it's so it's so important, <laughs> and it's it's beautiful news for us because we know that if we're reading the scriptures and we see that um, sin requires payment mm-hmm. and that um, the wrath of God is real and that it is um, that it is large that that it has been paid for us and that right. Jesus Christ has fully fulfilled it perfectly for all time right um, for those who are united with him yeah yeah and that's so important okay do you want to talk about verse 17 about how he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God do I <laughs> I love this. I really do love this passage. It's good stuff. Yeah, go for it. Uh, oh, so I'm asking you, but you're making me talk about it? Yes, you're talking about okay. it. Okay. You're bringing so, it up. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I really do. If if you think about Christ and what his, uh, what his role is now at the right hand of the Father, and to be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God on our behalf— um, I mean, just the thought of mercy, of of giving us, um, of not giving us what we deserve, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That he is that he is standing in our place and basically intermediating for for us um, right. with God, and uh, and just doing that in a way that is um, compassionate and empathetic because he has been fully tempted, and um, and can. Um, can sympathize with us in our, in our temptations. That's right. And I, yeah, take it from there. Yeah. So later, I mean, later on in the book of Hebrews in chapter seven, um, he brings up that exact point and he's, he's trying to build to this idea of like, man, God, I mean, God perfectly knows us, knows our struggle, all that stuff beforehand. God, God does not learn new things. Let's put it that right. way. Okay. He, right. he does. He never the learns anything. The of. Yes. Yes. Of God. But at the same time, there's this, there's this sense in which through Christ, he um, experiences all of these things uh, firsthand and therefore is able to empath- empathize. <laughs> therefore he's able to empathize with our weaknesses and with our struggles. And, um, and in doing that, it actually uh, plays into the way that he prays for us. And his ministry now, Jesus' ministry now is so interesting because some people are usually kind of like, okay, well, all right, so Jesus was here on earth and then, you know, he walked around and then he died on the cross and then he ascended to heaven. And then what is he doing? Like, what's he doing now? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us, this is Hebrews 7, uh, you verse, should just read that. Yeah, Verses 23 through 23. 25. Yeah. So good. He says, uh, the former priests were many in number 
but they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So again, we talked about the role of the priest, right? The priest is the one who is interceding on behalf of the people to God. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, former priests always died, <laughs> right? That was the problem. So they had to get more priests. But then verse 24, it says, but he, Jesus, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for him. And that's the, the one of the beautiful comforting things about what Jesus is doing now in his ministry to us is that Jesus, he doesn't just leave us and take off. It's actually to our benefit that he is now seated at the right hand of the father and mm-hmm. he is continually praying for you. Yeah. Like that is amazing. That's amazing. So he leaves us his spirit. Yeah. So we have the helper to help us in our temptation here on earth. And then he is at the right hand of the father. The -hmm. son is there interceding for us at the same time. It's like this all encompassing care. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I love too how Jesus actually echoes this even in his earthly ministry while he was here. There was a time where he, he told Peter how he is, uh, going to be praying for him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that's what Jesus does. Jesus intercedes. One of the roles that Jesus does is he intercedes for us, um, to the father. And, and, uh, so anyway, uh, what a, what an incredible thing to know that, that that's what Jesus is doing right now for each one of us. Music. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so last verse. Right? Or do we yeah, not yeah, need yeah. that one? Yeah, because uh, that's what it's talking about. So we'll just go right into it. So, um, and this is really what the last verse in this passage is talking about in Hebrews uh, chapter 2. Um, let's go ahead and read that. Would you read that? Sure. Verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's draw this together into some sort of. Like practice some, some sort of cohesive yeah. podcast. I know, I know, I know. right? <laughs> well, practical because because I think you know we've talked a lot about Christology here and who Jesus is and what he's doing and mm-hmm. what his ministry is and and things like that. But how does this? How does all this really benefit us? I guess is the question because yeah. at the end of the day, this is clearly necessary for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Um, but why is it necessary? Why why would it be necessary for us to have our savior, um, continually interceding for us. Right. Well, I think it's important for us to know that, um, he didn't like just magically fulfill the law that he was actually walking through all of the temptations that humanity has, has experienced. Mm -hmm. And it says here that he himself has suffered when tempted. Right. So he has felt the weight of sin on, on his doorstep, but he did not give in. He actively obeyed, mm-hmm. um, fulfilled the law perfectly as no man could do, um, other than the God man. And, uh, and, and that is why he's able to help those who are being tempted because he can empathize us, empathize with us in every respect. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes as a kid, I was like, I mean, even rec- you know, even into adulthood, I've thought, well, Jesus, no big deal, right? He fulfilled the law because he was, <laughs> he was, he was perfect, God and he so. was perfect. So it was like Shoot. water off a duck's back, you know? <laughs> but it, it, it does, uh, the author does take care to show us that he has suffered 
um, when tempted. And, yeah. um, and that's important for us to know that when we are suffering in temptation or we're suffering in, um, in sin mm-hmm. um, and recurring sin, we know that we have one who is interceding for us and empathizes with, with what it feels like to, to give in. Or, or even though he himself has not, right? Um, he actually he knows the struggle. He knows the struggle, and he knows it even more than us because he has pushed through it and felt the sting of of temptation to the to the uttermost. That's so, right. Um, I think that's exactly right. And I mean, I want to draw it back using that example and draw it back to what we talked about at the beginning. This just when dealing with relationships, that mm-hmm. that fear of death actually is affecting the way that we handle our relationships. So. So go to, you know, I think a great example is John chapter six. So okay. in John chapter six, um, Jesus is, uh, he, so first they do the, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. And then Jesus does this teaching about how he's the bread of life. And as he teaches all this stuff, he teaches some things that are really difficult for his disciples to grasp and to follow. And, um, and so his disciples afterwards start talking with him about all this stuff. And you get down to verse 66, this is near the end of the chapter. And it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Mm-hmm. Now, at the end of the day, you know, Jesus, at the end of his life, when, when he's uh, going to the cross, all of his disciples desert him, even, even the 12, even Peter, right? All of the disciples desert him. But here he gets this, I think we have a very clear picture of this suffering that Jesus began to experience because these are people who he cares about, uh, people that were following him, were part of his his flock, right? And it says that, you know, he 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 taught something really difficult um, and challenging, and they didn't like it, and so they ended up turning mm-hmm. from him and deserting him. Now, he never wavered from it, right? He, he did the right thing. He didn't waver from it, but someone who was plagued with the fear of death and the fear of man would probably waver from that. They would want to so- kind of soft pedal that teaching or, you know, dispose of it altogether, but mm-hmm. he didn't. And in doing so, he experienced, he experiences that suffering. So I, I think what I'm, what I'm getting to here is what we see is that Jesus who did not, um, have that same fear of death in the sense, yeah. um, because he knows what's going to happen and he, he knows that he will come out of that and be victorious. And he talks about that and all that stuff, right? He knows that. And so he doesn't have the same fear of death. And so that gives him a boldness in a way that allows him to, to hold true in those relationships and still speak the truth, mm-hmm. right? But, um, uh, but through that, he still suffers, yeah. right? And, 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 and in that, he knows what we go through when we do the same thing, when we, when we suffer for, for those sorts of things. And I, I just think that is so comforting, um, I don't know, like if you're out there, you're listening and, and you're, you know, struggling with a relationship where you're trying to talk about the gospel with a parent or with, with one of your kids or someone like a, a coworker and they keep rejecting that over and over again, or they or you feel like they're rejecting you because of that, that Jesus himself actually knows what you're going through. He experienced that same kind of rejection. Um, but because of because he has defeated this fear of death, that we don't no longer have to fear those things anymore. We can stand firm and be bold. Um, we can, you know, and and really love people through the midst of all that stuff. But we, um, uh, and we can know that he is still there, uh, praying for us, interceding for mm-hmm. us, and knows exactly what we're going through. Yeah, and I think that um, to kind of maybe round us out 
one of the last things that is so amazing about this passage is that uh, that Christ defeated death with his own death. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if we are staring death in the face, and if you have a loved one who is staring death in the face, we know um, that he is victorious over over death, and while death was not the um, is not the final word on humanity because of Christ, mm-hmm. um, if we're united to Him, we know that um, that we are victorious over death as well, and we will join Him in a resurrection like His as well. Right? Yeah, it's good news. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this was a big time theology heavy, Christology podcast. heavy podcast today. <laughs> We missed you, Mitch. (laughs) Yeah, but um, uh, hopefully this was helpful as you're kind of thinking through this passage and these categories a little bit. But we would love to talk with you more if you have questions Mm -hmm. about anything that we've been talking about. Um, And as always, reach out to us. You know, you can find all of our uh, email addresses and stuff on the Stones Crossing website. So uh, next week, we're going to be jumping back into our series called Living in the Overflow. And um, this is uh, returning back to Psalm 23. So we're going to be back in Psalm 23 next week. Looking forward to that. And uh, so, yeah, we'll be back here next week to talk about that here on the Sunday Recap. We'll see you then.